Hey, everybody, we've got a great episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass in store for you. Before we get into it, though, I want to take a moment to thank this episode's sponsors. They include Kobuzz.com, the world's largest catalog of streaming music in studio quality high res. You can stream all of your music in the highest possible quality starting at just $9.99 per month. Visit on.kobuzz.com slash jazzes to learn more. That's on.qobuz.com slash jazzes to learn more more. Thanks also to Prairie Star Records. They've got a new album right now by vocalist Patrice Jegu. It's called If This Ain't Love. You can check her out online at patricejegu.com. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-E-J-E-G-O-U.com. All right, that'll do it for the sponsor. It's time to take it backstage. Let's hit it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass. I am your host, Brian Zimmerman. And joining me on the podcast today is actor, writer, director, and most importantly, longtime jazz fan, Michael Imperioli. Best known for his role as Christopher Moltisanti on the HBO hit series, The Sopranos, for which he won an Emmy Award in 2004. Imperioli's other on-screen credits include award-winning movies like Goodfellas, Bad Boys, Lean on Me, and Last Man Standing, as well as the Spike Lee Productions' Malcolm X and Jungle Fever. He also co-wrote and co-produced the 1999 crime thriller Summer of Sam, which was directed by Spike Lee. In 2018, Imperioli published his first novel, The Perfume Burned His Eyes, which chronicled the life of a Queens teenager who moves with his broken family to Manhattan and then goes on to befriend Lou Reed, a luminary of the downtown New York rock scene of the 1970s. Now, Imperioli is an avid admirer of that historical musical era in New York City and an enthusiastic champion of rock and roll in general. But he's also a passionate jazz fan and active member of the Jazz Foundation of America, an organization that provides financial support, housing assistance, and disaster relief to musicians in need. On October 19th, he'll return to his duties as co-host, along with the great actor Danny Glover, uh, for the Jazz Foundation of America's Loft Party in New York City, a concert benefiting the JFA's life-saving programs. It'll feature performances by Wyclef Jean and the Pharoah Sanders Quartet, along with a tribute to Miles Davis's Bitches Brew and featuring alumni of that amazing album, and a celebration of New Orleans icons Dr. John, Dave Bartholomew, and Art Neville. It's going to be an amazing event, and if you're in the area and would like to support it, you can buy tickets online at jazzfoundation.org. In this episode, Imperioli talks to us about the records that brought him to the jazz flame in the first place, his total infatuation with bass players like Charles Mingus and Ron Carter, and that one time he smoked a joint with Gil Evans outside Sweet Basil. Yeah, it's a good one, folks. Oh, we also discuss a video clip of Billie Holiday and Lester Young uh, at the end of the podcast. In case you want to see it, check out our website, www.jazzes.com. You can watch it there. Um... There's a lot more in store for this one, folks. We know you're going to love it. Let's take it backstage with Michael Imperioli. Um, you know, I would love to hear... The first question on my mind, always when talking to people like you, is how did you first get into jazz? Um, 
Are you musical? Do you have a musical background? you play? Yeah, I do. I mean, I kind of, uh, throughout my adult life, pretty much, well, at different times in my adult life, I played in bands, more uh, uh, rock, you know, New York kind of downtown, New York, punky, grungy, alternative-y guitar. I play guitar, and I nice. played in two or three different bands. Um, um, but I... You know, I got into jazz really in my late teens. Um, I was a big fan of Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, and those those guys made a really big impression on me. Okay, gotcha. And um, they kind of turned me on to a lot of things like Buddhism, Billy Holiday, Charlie Parker, and things like that. And it just uh, it just kind of blossomed from there. I mean, I read read. Beneath the Underdog when I was like 19 and really got into Mingus at that time and just trying to understand what it was he did, you know, and what, it, what, what you know, especially, you know, I was always, I'm not a bass player, but I was always attracted to bass because it's, there's such kind of a um, element, ele- elementary thing to it, right? a foundational thing. It's only four strings. You know, you don't really necessarily play chords. Usually it's like notes, but it's such a foundation of music. And when you have these incredibly smart, gifted people, like my favorites is Ron Carter and Mingus, you know. Yeah. Um, It's just kind of, I don't know, something about what they were doing, this this very almost philosophical approach to music to to an instrument that, um, you know, is that like foundation foundational to, to the music yet it can spell yeah. out you know, four notes the guys who do it best four notes that's across what i mean bar you know can, i, can I spell actually out met the, chord. Yeah. exactly i met um ron carter a couple of times and what impressed me was he said ah, my friend my friend uh, i was with a bass player my bass player from my band a rock bass player we were at, at ron carter's house and my friend cracked his knuckle his uh-huh. own knuckle you know yeah and ron just he cringed. He went, "Don't ever do that again." And then he said, "That was a B flat, by the way." <laughs> <laughs> Cracking and, and then yeah. you know he knew that I was an actor and you know I was playing band. He goes, "Really, you doing both of those things?" He goes, "I'm still trying to learn how to play the bass." <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a humble dude, one of those eternal student kind of cats. You know, he he told me to warm up. He'll just spend hours in one note. You know. Boom, just to get the tone yeah. right, the sound right. Yeah. Because that's so essential to his, like, you know, acoustic profile is his his sound. So, yeah, he's yeah. one of the greats. So, cool, man. Mingus was a way in. Do you remember, like, everybody remembers that first album they bought, right? I think for me it was, like, a Clifford Brown compilation um, on Blue Note. Um, do you remember, like, the first the jazz, first jazz album? Yeah, album yeah, yeah. was, well, I don't know if it's a jazz album. It, it was Bitches Brew. and yeah, that counts, man. Um, it is a jazz album, but it really kind of, I, I was not expecting what it was. I was, you know, I had heard some miles more of the, you know, kind of blue, you know, more classical stuff, even Sketches of Spain. And, but I was expecting something more in that vein, but I had always heard it was kind of departure for him. Mm-hmm. And I was not expecting what it was, and it, you know, I listened to that album a lot, and just trying to kind of, you know, you know, these dudes look at music in a very, in, you know, 
artistic, but also an emotional, intellectual way, right. philosophical way. So always trying to think, what, what is he trying to do? What are they trying to do as a group? What is it? You know, jazz to me is, rock and roll is very straightforward. I love rock. It's very straightforward. Jazz is very mysterious to yeah. me, you know? There's a, there's a, it's almost like a code that you're trying to, decipher and right. help him, you know um right and it leaves so much room for that you know that's what it, it thrives leaves so much room yeah. for that yeah there's an abstract quality to it you know like like abstract painting you know that that just uh that um makes you keep listening you know what i mean yeah. it's like look listen to how many pop songs you hear it and then like you'll hear it a couple of times you don't care if you ever hear it again jazz you could listen to forever i mean i still listen to the same things i've listened to when i started listening Right, right, right. Same album over and over again. You hear something new every time. Um, yeah, but the first jazz concert I went to was Gil Evans at the at Sweet Basil. That was the first jazz, and I remember we um, wow, like we were like teenagers. Okay. He was old. I don't know how old he was, and we got stoned with him uh, <laughs> outside on the street on on Bleecker Street, the back nice. entrance. We smoked joints with him with Gil and, Evans. Uh, right? We. Yeah, we were in heaven. It Sweet, was man. It must have, was it with a big ensemble or what? It was. Yeah. It was a, I don't even remember who was in it. I mean, he was, up, of course, on, on keyboards and stuff. And they yeah. were, I think they played Little Wing that night by Hendrix. Yeah, right. They were doing, they had a whole album of Hendrix stuff. Yeah. So it was getting yeah. pretty wild with that. He was awesome. Oh, that'll hook you for sure, that was man. A great show. Bill Evans yeah. and Hendrix at Sweet Basil. Yeah, no wonder. No wonder. Yeah. And then, you know, I I always wonder, as with your acting career, um, were there any ways that uh, you know jazz ever got to intersect, or you know were there principles from jazz that you applied to acting? Were there people that you met through acting, you know, who shared a passion for jazz? Um, I remember like working on a character in my early 20s. I don't remember which character it was, but I remember listening to, um, what is that called? Haitian fight song, the Mingus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Haitian fight Haitian song. Fight song yep. That, over and over and over again, walking around the city, trying to find kind of this center of gravity for this character, and I remember that really taking me somewhere. I, and, uh, you know, music sometimes can really um, transport you emotionally. And for an actor, some, you have to explore those things, you know. Right. And for me, I use that a lot, you know, to get me places. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, because I, uh, I talked to Stephen. Stephen Van Zandt was on the podcast recently because he released, you know, he was in that Lilyhammer show, which had a lot of jazz. And I said, oh, you know, Michael Imperioli was like a huge jazz fan. He was like, I didn't even know that. I yeah. Said, oh. well, I don't know. <laughs> I probably told him at some point, but, uh, <laughs> and, and, um, I think right after the Gil Evans, I got to see, uh, Miles play once at, I think it was at Steven Van Zandt's, I think he threw it. It was an amnesty concert oh, and wow. uh, Steven Van Zandt played at, at it, but Miles played and he had a red trumpet. Okay. Right. <laughs> red glittered trumpet. And I mean, it was like, I don't know. Seeing Miles Davis was, um, you know, it's like watching history, you know. Um, right. um, uh, you know, these guys, too, are linked to a past that now seems so far away, like, um, you know, like Ron Carter and you know, people like that. It's, um, 
or even uh, um, the, per- the you know it's just like it's a direct link to these legends that we're, we see we feel so far away from, but we're not really in a lot of ways. When you have right some of the guys like Ron Carter, you know Jimmy Cobb, who played on an album like Kind of Blue, you know, right, and who are still making music. You know, so you can still making music, see yeah. them and meet them, and you know it's incredible. It's incredible, um, and it's and weird Roy Unz, he's ninety four. They're honoring him this oh, year. So he he played with Lester Young. He I know. Played with Sarah Vaughan and Charlie Parker. Man, it's so crazy. It it's is amazing. You know, and to it's, have you're these right. links it, to these people. It seems so distant, and yet you realize, you know with a cat like Roy Haynes, who's still alive, like, wow, there was so much incredible music and so much change in that music within the span of like 70 years. I mean, you think of something like, like a Lester Young track all the way to like a Pat Metheny tune or what's going on today. You know, the fact that jazz has evolved that much over the course of that period, a uh, period of time is, is really amazing. Man. Yeah. And one of the highlights of the JFA for me was getting to spend some time with, Jimmy Scott, and oh, nice. uh, yeah. I, I saw him perform three times, four times. But one, there was one bene- one uh, Jazz Foundation benefit at the Apollo, and he was there, and I was backstage with him and his wife. And that was a real thrill for me. Awesome, yeah. Let's talk it about how, how you first kind of um, linked up with the JFA. It's an amazing foundation. You know, it offers support it is, yeah. to musicians, jazz musicians in need. It did a lot. You know, after the hurricanes in Puerto Rico, Hurricane Harvey, Katrina. Obviously, jazz musicians lost their house. They lost everything. JFA, you know, stepped in to get them. You know, housing. It does it all the yeah. time. And 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 Wendy is the saint to me. I mean, cause a lot of the times she, yeah, she's doing it on her own. I mean, she's down there on the ground, you know, you're going to their houses in the subways, finding people. I mean, it's endless what she's done and just, you know, really remarkable, you know, for people who kind of, a, a lot of these people, I mean, we're talking about legends and big things. A lot of these, a lot of the people that are help are, phenomenal musicians and, 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 and really important parts of history, but the general public doesn't know them, you know, and right. they've been kind of forgotten by, they're not getting royalties, you know, they were screwed out of all that kind of thing. And, and um, there's not a lot of people looking out for them, but the JFA is. Totally. Yeah. And so how did you first um, get involved with the organization? You know, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I think it was through my friend Norina Barbella introduced me to Wendy. And I think I went to the Great Night in Harlem way back. With, and uh, Lou Reed was a, was a big hero of mine and also became a friend mm. in the late part of wow. his life. And he was a big supporter of JFA. Right, he was. He played, he played a lot of the benefits and he loved them. Um, but uh, my wife and I, uh, my kids were at a school in Manhattan at the time. They were young and we uh, worked with the school to get them to hire some of the musicians to teach and do jazz workshops in the school. Um, you know, and that was kind of the beginning. And I just do whatever, you know, whatever I can, you know, and uh, support them, try to spread the word. Um, you know, I'd really like to see more younger musicians from the rock world and hip hop world yeah. and rap world. Um, getting behind it, um, you know, we try to, you know, I think people forget how much of 
jazz and blues influenced them and how they were, right. the, you know, their forefathers and stuff. And I, I, I there's some like we have white white classes is performing right. uh, this year, and um, I'd love to see more, you know, of our rock stars and pop stars coming on board and help and uh, give them back. Yeah, because the and and the time is right for that too, because you're seeing a lot of crossover. You know, people like Kamasi Washington, you know, playing with Herbie Hancock, right. Kendrick Lamar from the rap world. You know, right. using a lot of these jazz cats. Um, I think I saw John Mayer at one of the JFA um, benefit yeah. efforts back in the day. So yeah, you're seeing a lot of intergenerational stuff right now. But yeah, to help spread the word, you're right. It, it could use like, you know, some of these younger cats uh, stepping up and, and saying how important this uh, organization is. So yeah, Michael, this now you've, you're co-hosting with Danny Glover, correct, this year? Yeah. This isn't yeah. your first time co-hosting, is it? No, I've done it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I've done it a lot, both for the loft party yep. and for the uh, and for the Apollo. Uh, right. Yeah. Do you do you remember just off the top of your head any highlights from previous years of, you know, like I saw McCoy Tyner the one year I went. You know, uh, it was just like floored me. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. I mean, Jimmy Scott was probably the highlight. Okay, nice. Um, that was uh, that was fantastic. Um, Ronnie Spector. Yeah, uh, was just she kind of brought the house down. We and that was the same year. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Donald Fagan from is, that's from wow. Steely Dan, Steely right? Dan, yeah. He played uh, Hesitation Waltz. Wow, <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Um, uh, Devel Crawford is a tremendous musician. He, I think, he knocks everybody out. You know. They call him the Prince of New Orleans. I mean, he's just fantastic. And a guy who passed away, very, uh, I think, last year, named Henry Butler, was a team in another Miguel, New Orleans. From New Orleans, yeah. He, he, yeah, he was, uh, he was a real treat, you know. Um, but it's like those events, those two events, you can't go wrong. Like, there's not a, you know, there's not a lull in those evenings. They're all just tremendous. Totally. Know? And what I love is just like you were saying, they'll have the really, really heavy, you know, jazz legends in there. Um, your Jimmy Scotts, your McCoy Tyners, but as you mentioned, Lou Reed, you know, who loved jazz, who loved Ornette, he'll play. John Mayer will play. Um, you know, because Doctor John Keith Richards, play yeah. Keith, Keith Richards, Richards because yeah. they know yeah. the importance of this music, and yeah, you know, so it attracts people who really understand the value of jazz, and that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, a little bit. Are you currently playing? Like you, I want to talk about your musicianship a little bit. Are you still? Out I'm there not playing? playing. I've been doing like you know. I published the book a year ago, novel. I remember. Uh, yeah, it's a coming of age novel that takes place in New York in the city. Actually, Lou Reed is a character in the novel. Right. So there's a lot of musical uh, elements to the book, and I've been I've been doing a lot of live readings where I play out some of the characters and now in nightclubs, uh, and now I've added a couple of a other actors and a, the bass player, the one who cracked his knuckles, Elijah Amiton. In B-flat, um, yeah. He's a, his father was a, a Jewish guy from New York who played Latin bass in Orchestra Broadway with like Ruben Blades and all nice. these phenomenal salsa guys. Yeah. Mike Amiton, he passed away recently. But Elijah and I, Elijah's been accompanying me on bass 
And I'm doing an expanded version of that uh, uh, February or March at Joe's Pub with about seven actors, Elijah Amerton and Lenny Kay on guitar from the Patti Smith Group. That's great, man. So I'm not so much playing music, but it's um, integrating it into this theatrical experience. You know? Very nice. And when is that again? You know? That is uh, February or March at okay. Joe's Pub. I'm just waiting to nail down the date. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, that book. I remember hearing about it. I haven't had a chance to read it, but you know, I'm I also am very much into that scene. I love Lou Reed. I'm a Velvet Underground freak, um, and I remember hearing about this book. That's quite an endeavor, man, to write a novel. Um, how long did that take you? That was was that your first novel? That was the first novel I've written screenplays and right. uh, teleplays. Well, I wrote some of the Sopranos and one of Spike Lee's movies, The right. Summer of Sam. And, uh, so writing has been a part of my life for a long time. But the novel was, it took a couple of years, you know, on and off. You know, I wouldn't, I would only write when I was home. Mm. Uh, not when I was like on location doing movies and TV or whatever. Only when I was home, not working on anything else. It just devoted chunk, big chunks of time to it. Um, but it was, uh, it's a great experience. I mean, I'm really, you know, my my acting teacher was a big influence on my life. She, she, she would always say the only criterion you should have about your own work was, did you do what you set out to do? Not how'd you feel? Did you feel good? Did you feel bad? Did you do what you set out to do? Hmm. And only you can really answer that. It has right. nothing to do with critics or anybody else's opinion. And, I don't always feel that way, but I felt that way about the book. Oh, that's so excellent. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, man. Excellent. Who, you know, in that world, who, you know, aside from Lou Reed are, are some of your, you know, favorite acts or. Oh, wow. Um, Patty Smith. Yeah. Uh, David Johansson. Hey, he was, uh, at one of the JFA benefits, David Joe. Um, New York Doll, right. big fans of Suicide. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I, this list goes on and on. I, I also like a lot of bands from like the 80s and 90s, like the grunge and alternative move, movement that happened in those like Nirvana and the Pixies and uh, the Smashing Pumpkins and uh, yeah, My Bloody Valentine, Dinosaur Jr. Nice. Um, Neil Young, yeah. Rolling Stones. And I just feel like there's the always price. so much overlap, you know, with these kind of groups um, and jazz. And I think it, it it's because they came from the same kind of place. You know, jazz had certain elements to work with, like the blues, you know, and, you know, marching music. Oh, and, yeah. and, and they just made something else out of it. And some of right. these alternative rock, it's the same kind of mindset. It's like, okay, we have Absolutely. the nuts and bolts of rock and roll. How can we, what else can we do with it? You know, for Lou Reed, it was like, how, what kind of new art can come from it? What kind right. of new sound? So, yeah, man. Right. And, and there'd be no rock without, definitely without blues. I mean, that's, right. that's an easy right. family tree to draw. Um, I also love, you know, I, I really love um, Ragtime. Scott, Scott Joplin in huh. particular, which I find was a, a strange, if you look at like late class, like late 19th century classical music, like Satie and Chopin and stuff. Mm -hmm. Ragtime was kind of a link between that and, you know, what became, you know, modern jazz. I mean, it's a very, you mean, Scott Joplin, especially some of the like solace and some of the, 
more, you know, minor, slower. Uh, so you can really hear like Chopin and Satie and those, uh, Debussy, you know, those kind of romantic classical acts. I mean, um, I think it's very, it's a very interesting point in time for American music. Um, I read a really great book, a novel about, it's basically about the fetishism of authenticity and collectorship of music and especially mm. the blues called White Tears. Did you hear about that book? No. It's fascinating. It's a novel. It's really, it's kind of like The Shining in a way. Oh, okay. But with the, Sh the Shining was about a haunted hotel. This right. is about like a haunted song, huh. like a haunted blues oh, wow. song. It's fantastic by a guy named Hari Kunzro. Okay. I will have to check yeah, that really out. Yeah, really good. Man. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, because I've, I have read some things about this kind of th thirst for authenticity and what is authenticity. And um, yeah. So very interesting, man. Very interesting. You know, there's an additional overlap, you know, between um, your love for some of the kind of downtown New York rock scene and jazz, and which is um, Buddhism, right? Because, you know, Wayne Shorter, uh, Esperanza, Herbie Hancock, Herbie Hancock you know, right, right. A, a lot of practicing Buddhists in jazz. Um, when did you first, uh, find your way to Buddhism? Um, it was late teens from reading Jack Kerouac and oh, I was interested okay. in it and, and it was inspiring, but I didn't really understand it. I tried to read the diamond sutra and it was really way beyond me. But I, and I didn't really get into it again until 2007. And actually, a year later, my wife and I became Buddhists and mm. you know, really made it kind of an important part of our lives. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, have you spoken to Herbie or, or Wayne? Or I've never met, okay. I've never met Herbie Hancock. No, I'd love to. Oh, okay. Oh, Big yeah. fan of his. Maybe uh, we can make that You know what? Uh, my, my favorite uh, jazz movie is... Around midnight. I was actually I mean, going to ask thought, you about your favorite. Man, movie, so, yeah. I thought that movie just, that one blows my mind. I mean, Dexter's performance, um, just, I mean, I remember seeing that in the movie theater when it came out, and I was just like floored by what he did, you know, and it's just so the honest, honesty. Man. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Herbie, because he was in that, and right, right, so right. was Ron Carter. Right. Um, but, uh, so honest and just like just this real breathing human yeah. being on stage and they you know and uh you know just the soul that was there and that man and that he brought um, of course in his music but then as, a, as an actor in the film martin scorsese did that cameo that was a great movie yeah uh, and I was, I was kind of, I was saving it for the end, but we can go there now. I was going to just do like some, you know, quick top threes or top fives with, uh, with you, Michael. But, um, yeah, I mean, round midnight is obviously one of my favorite movies. Do you have any others to round out, uh, say a top three? Um, that's a tough one. Let me see. Let me think about that. You know, you got bird, um, Let's see what else he got. got well, Better Blues is an underrated blues, movie, I yeah. think. You know, and I think Spike, Spike, you know, Spike's father is a, uh, Bill Lee is a jazz musician. His father was That's a right. bass player, I think a bass player, um, uh, who scored a lot of his early movies. And then he worked with Ter Ter Terrence Blanchard later on, but like a lot of the early, like she's got to have it, a lot of the scores done by his father, Bill Lee. 
I think that's that. I like that one a lot. Um, great movie, yeah. I like Great Day in Harlem. That's a great doc, you know. Yes. Um, but there's a doc I saw about Mingus, and I don't remember the name of it. And when he's getting evicted or something from his apartment, did you ever see that movie? I've seen you clips of that I'm movie. I about? know exactly what movie you're talking about. I don't yeah. know the name of it. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting movie. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. You know, this movie, um, Cold War, that came out last year. Uh-huh. Uh, as a Polish movie, but um, the guy, one, the the star of the movie, um, he's playing a jazz musician who's in a, who leaves, um, you know, Eastern Bloc Poland and goes to Paris, and uh, it's it's one of the best movies I've seen in years. It's really good. You can see it. Amazon produced it. It came out in the theaters a little bit, but now it's on streaming. Great uh, jazz movie. I will check it out, man. I, have you seen the much talked about Miles Davis documentary yet? Birth of the Cool? No, I haven't seen that one. Did you see it? I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's, you know, a lot of focus on his personal life. Um, but, you know, I was a huge fan of his autobiography, so I kind of dug the documentary as well. Um, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, he was a trip and a half, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Nobody oh, like absolutely. him, man. I'm a trumpet player. Oh, God. Um, oh, yeah. So he was, you know, an idol for me. Um, just his embrace of space, you know, um, silence, one note, dynamics, one, note, one know, Jim, exactly, right? exactly. And I, you know, kind of blue, I think is the perfect extra illustration of this because, you know, you'll hear, you know, on all blues, for example, Coltrane, sheets of sound, right? I mean, just, that's just what Coltrane did. Um, Cannonball Adderley doing his soulful stuff. And then Miles comes in, it's like... You're exactly one note. You're in a completely different mood, you know? Right. It's understated. It's elegant and... Unmistakable. Oh, no one else could do it like him. Yeah. You know, I I hear a lot of cats today. They'll just... A lot of notes, you know, a lot of notes is style. And I say, man... Right. We could tap into that Miles uh, ethos of just less is more. You know, I love it. I love it. Less is more. And also, like... I think um, tone is something I think a lot of people just take for granted. Like, oh, that's what he sounded like. It's like that tone, there's so much that goes into what that is. It's not just, oh, that's how it sounded when he blew into his trumpet. That tone is the result of, I mean, it's like, you know, when they talk about wine, terroir, that concept of everything matters, the sun, it's how close it was to the sea, how hot it was, how much yep. it rained, how it didn't. That t- tone is the same thing for me. You know, right, there's, right. there's all these ineffable elements that go into the making of that tone. You know, going back to probably when he was born, and maybe even before. Totally, and <laughs> I'm know? sure I'm sure it's the same for acting too. You know, it's just you know, so many things that yeah. go into the funnel. You know that, that it is. You know, I mean, and when you're doing it, you don't never think about that. Right. You kind of always think about what what you should be doing and what you're not doing. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Instead of just sometimes, you know, I've been doing it for 30 something years. And every time I go on to a job, I always feel like I don't know what it is I'm doing. And sometimes I got to stop myself and say, you know, you're going to, when you go to, and I say that to my friends too, who've been doing it a long time. It's like, you're going to bring a lot because you're bringing a lot with you, you know? Right. It's going to be there when you start saying these lines with conviction and with understanding and with, intention and stuff yeah. there's a lot it's, it's not just that it's 
everything else that came before and behind it. Well, that's reassuring to hear, but you're saying you go in even every new project with some doubt, with some uncertainty and everyone, <laughs> every time. Yeah. That's reassuring. That's every article I start. <laughs> I say, I tell myself, I have no idea what I'm doing and I've written hundreds. Yeah. Thousands. And you've done, and you've been exactly. doing it for how long? Exactly. Uh, half my life. So, and every single one, I say, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, that's amazing. And, right? yet, and yet it, it manages I, to come together. Yeah, I think there's something healthy to that as long as you don't uh, make it a, a, like a negative criticism or kind of thing. And it's just like, right. like you said before, eternally an eternal student, that kind of thing, always learning. I think that's okay. Yeah, totally. So well, and for it, me, you know, you know, meditation, you know, accepting the unknown, that has helped for me, no doubt. Yeah. With some of those feelings. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, cool, man. I'd like to um, wrap up here again. I know it's corny, but with just like a, you know, Michael Imperioli's like top five jazz albums. You know what I mean? Like, got to have them on the desert island. Uh, sketches of Spain. Okay. Definitely sketches of Spain. Um. Uh, let's see. I mean, there'd probably be several Miles albums. I, I think Bitches Brew for what it is and what, why and Historic, for, for where it went and for, and, and, and uh, genre defining album for fusion. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. These are deep questions, man. I mean, Love Supreme. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty epic. Totally. That's um, in my top five for sure. Uh, and then, what's that other Coltrane album with the name? Um, it has almost like a cinematic title name, and I can't remember because I haven't heard it in a long time. But um, I mean, I, I have compilation albums of Billie Holiday, and I can't remember. I mean, they were just like greatest hits yeah, albums. Man, throw them on there. I just picked that one yeah. because. I think she, here, there's another one uh, who just like, you know, of course, technically in virtuoso, you know, when you talk about, you know, virtuoso as a voice, you wouldn't probably put her there, but yet she kind of touches me more than anyone. Totally. You know, I mean, uh, talk I just, about the sound honesty, of her talk voice. about emotion. Yeah. 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 I think she, I mean, she kind of really is the definitive jazz singer in a way. I really like uh, Renee Marie. Do you know her stuff? I know her very well, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. She, I love her. I, she does this, she does that Bolero and Suzanne by Leonard Cohen. She does that as like a medley where she kind That's of right. yes. mashes them together a little bit. That is tremendous. I haven't seen her live. She played a couple of weeks ago at the Dizzy's and, and uh we couldn't make it that weekend, but I'm really dying to see her. I don't know what album she has, but whatever it is, it's probably that that would that probably belongs there because I think she's tremendous. Nice man, some old, some new. That's a good some list. Old, some new. <laughs> That's a good. Yeah, list. very cool. Yeah, I got to find the name of that culture album. It's a very, it's a very. It almost sounds like a novel or something. What period? And I'll is send it, from? it to you. Probably the '60s. Okay. Sounds like a novel. I don't know, man. You know, but speaking of Billie Holiday, and you mentioned Lester Young earlier, have you seen that video clip? It was from like a TV show in the, the 60s, A Sound of Jazz or whatever. 
and they uh, they were filming all these like uh, you know groups of musicians performing, and one of them they reunited Billie Holiday and Lester Lester Young in a group. And when was that? Uh, like towards the end of it, right at the end. Probably. Right at the end, man. Right at the end. And I love Lester Young. They're playing this. I, blues. I listen to him a lot. They're playing this blues, and you know, so Billie Holiday is singing the head. They get to the solo section. Lester Young gets up and he just plays like the cleanest, most swingingest, understated, beautiful solo ever. And they cut to Billie Holiday and you could just see every emotion on her face. She's like so proud, you know, because they work together a lot and they separated for a while. I know. They they yeah. yeah. She's so proud. She's so happy. There's just like this glow, this aura just like do you have a link to that uh, I can send it to you man yeah I'll send it to you if I want to see that you know yeah. they they just published uh, there's this book series called The Last Interview I forget yeah. who, who what the publisher is and they, they they did Lou Reed they've done Gar- Gabriel Garcia Marquez and lots of different artists and they just published the Billy Holiday so they have oh, a bunch nice. of interviews and then they have the last interview she ever did it's very interesting actually you know just um uh, just hearing her voice that way, you know, and yeah, just man. kind of addressing certain issues and problems. And she, you know, Sinatra said that he learned how to sing based on Billie Holiday. I believe it. A hundred percent. You know, you can hear it, the phrasing, the breath control, you know, yeah. he said it was his favorite singer. Yeah. I can hear it, man. Well, Michael, thank you so much. This was really, it was really great talking to you. You, you know thank your you, jazz and, you know, yeah, I've, I've loved following your career and, you know, your writing and, you know, obviously your acting and the JFA, um, now you're hosting the JFA gala, which is when again? The Loft Party. The, the Loft uh, Party? October 19th. October yeah. 19th. Yeah. Coming right it's up. It's the best party of the year. I mean, if you're into jazz and you can, you know, I mean, and you're free, you're going to love it. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah. Tyro Sanders, um, they're doing a tribute to the um, Bitches Brew, actually. It's the anniversary, I think, 50th anniversary right. tribute yeah. with a bunch of the musicians who played on it. Um, they're doing a tribute to Dr. John, uh, Cyril Neville, and some other New Orleans guys. They're going to tribute to Dr. John. Uh, Roy Haynes, tribute to him. Y-Class John from the Fugees is going to play. So it's... Um, gonna be wild it is man it's like a festival in a room yeah um, it is so very cool it's like three different rooms you can go in and out and, uh, how you want it yep. wherever you want and there's not a bad not a bad act that's right man <laughs> well michael thanks again for speaking right. to us this was awesome i will send you My that clip pleasure. as soon as i get off the phone thank I'm you very send much you that clip man i gotta find what that album is i'm gonna send it to you <laughs> all right sounds good deal all right michael Take care. appreciate it have a good day bye yeah, bye All right, and I'd like to sincerely thank my guest, Michael Imperioli, for joining me on the podcast today. By the way, that album he couldn't think of, it wasn't John Coltrane, it was Charles Mingus, the album The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, which happens to be one of my favorite albums of all time. Coincidentally, I was actually wearing a Black Saint and the Sinner Lady t-shirt as we conducted the interview. All right. 
Worldwide. And now I'd just like to thank a few more sponsors. They include Smoke Sessions Records. The label has a new album out right now by George Coleman called The Quartet. You can learn more at smokesessionsrecords.com. Thanks also to Blue Note Records, celebrating their 80th anniversary with a bunch of cool musical initiatives. To check out everything they've got going on, visit bluenote.com. And another thanks to ECM Records. They've got a new album by Enrico Rava and Joe Lovano out right now. Visit ecmrecords.com to learn more. Thanks also to the streaming service Deezer. We regularly curate playlists on this platform. To check out our latest, visit deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. Another big thanks to jazzradio.com, featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online. Visit jazzradio.com to check it out. And thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. On the calendar for them in November, a performance by Chaka Khan. It's taking place November 14th. For tickets and more info, visit njpac.org. That's njpac.org. Another big thanks to the Angel City Jazz Fest. It's running through October 13th in Los Angeles, so you have a few more days to go and check it out. Visit them online at angelcityjazz.com. Big thanks also to Jazz and Lincoln Center, one of New York's premier musical venues. On November 28th, they'll be hosting a Thanksgiving concert with Wyclef Gordon. In addition to a night of great music, attendees will also be treated to a three-course meal. For tickets and more info, visit jazz.org. And thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video on-demand platform dedicated to jazz and beyond. It's been called the Netflix of jazz. To learn more, visit quest.tv. That's Q-W-E-S-T TV. And finally, thanks to the U.S. Navy band Commodore's Jazz Ensemble, currently celebrating their 50th anniversary. They've got concert dates around the country. If you want to catch them in action, visit our website and click the Navy Band Commodore's banner. Our theme music is the tune Folk Song from pianist Emmett Cohen's album, Master's Legacy Series, Volume 1. You can check him out online at emmettcohen.com. Lastly, hey, independent artists, if you'd like to get your album into the hands of a Jazz Is editor, yes, including me, be sure to visit jazzes.com and submit your info via our Inside Track program. Not only will you get your album posted on our site, but it'll make its way directly to the inbox of a Jazz Is editor. Visit jazzes.com and click Submit Your Music in the top navigation bar. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating, too, because that really helps. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'll see you next time. <laughs>